Welcome to the podcast of Maranatha Ministries. I'm Rick Frank, Senior Pastor of Maranatha, and I pray you'll be blessed by today's message. You can access all of our church information by going to our website at www.mmchurch.com or on all social media by searching at mmchurch. And now be blessed by listening to today's message. All right, what do you say we get into the word of the Lord this morning? And I am going to begin by turning to the book of Romans, chapter number 8. And I am reading verses 35 through 39, where the Bible says here, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? Yes or no? No. Distress? No. Persecution? No. Famine? No. Nakedness? No. Peril? Sword, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing. That pretty much covers it all. Shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I want to talk to you today about this subject that I've entitled, Loving the Lord is the Key. Let's pray together. Jesus, we do love you today, and we thank you for your goodness and the blessing of the Lord. This beautiful worship service that we all just experienced, we thank you for your presence. Truly, it's wherever two or three are gathered in your name, you're in our midst. And the songs of worship, as we lift our praises to you, you inhabit those praises, and we feel you today in this place. And I pray that everyone, Lord, that might be listening to me at home, will feel your presence right now in their living room, their dining room, wherever they may be listening to this, that they will feel your nearness. In Jesus' wonderful name, everyone said amen. Amen. Clap your hands one more time for Jesus, would you? (laughs) Songwriter wrote an old song, the words of which are, the love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. When years of time shall pass away and earthly thrones and kingdoms fall, when men who hear refuse to pray on rocks and hills and mountains call, God's love so sure shall still endure, all measureless and strong, redeeming grace to Adam's race, the saints, and the angels' song. O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure, the saints' and the angels' song. The love of God will never fail. It will never fail you. Could we with ink the oceans fill and were the skies of parchment made 
where every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints' and angels' song. Aren't you glad that no matter what, no matter where, no matter how deep, no matter how high, the love of God is there. The love of God is there for you. God's love is unconditional. Now listen carefully to that statement. It is unconditional because too many people think they have to earn it. Too many people think they are unlovable. God's love is unconditional. And God's love never fails, although we fail numerous times and oftentimes we fail. God's love never fails. I'm so glad the songwriter wrote and said that the Lord loves me. How many of you are glad the Lord loves you? Now there's no doubt when it comes to God's love for us. How do I know that? Do I know that because he said so? Do I know that he loves me because he said he loves me? No, talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. He did not just say he loved me. He went to Calvary and proved how much he loved me. Anybody can say it. Jesus did it. He loved me like no one else loved me. Can you say amen? He proved on Calvary. He gave his life. The songwriter wrote and said, I know, I know, Jesus loved me. Sorry about all these old songs that were on my heart while I was putting this sermon notes together. <laughs> I know, I know, he loves me. This he proved on Calvary. He gave his life that I might live. He cared that much for me. I don't know why anybody would care that much about me. But Jesus did and does. Now, last week, in fact, the past couple of weeks, I've been, I've been, I'm following the same theme that I've been talking about for the past couple of weeks. And uh, last week, we talked about the rich man and um, asking Jesus, "What's the great commandment? Greatest commandment?" Uh, and and of course, he wanted to know which ones he had to keep. You remember we talked about that last. Time. I'm not going to re-preach that. He wanted to be a follower of Jesus, but he lacked one thing, and the one thing that he lacked was what he thought he could not do. And I want to talk to you today about this next thing that stops people from living for God. We talked about, two weeks ago, we talked about Moses being at the burning bush, and God asking of Moses something that he thought he could not do. And the smart thing Moses did that I encourage you and everyone to do is to not walk away from God when he asks something too hard to do because your answer is on the way. And when your answer gets there, you need to be in the presence of God to receive that answer. Too many people have walked away and the answer comes and they're not there to get it. And then, of course, last week we talked about the fact that no one ever said this was going to be easy. And that we all know tiggers in this life. I use the Winnie the Pooh analogies a lot. 
We all know tiggers in this life that just bounce around and look like everything's going their way, but the truth of the matter is we all face hardships. We all face difficulty. We just respond differently. Tiggers just bounce around and, uh, and Eeyores walk around and say, woe is me. I am an Eeyore. My wife will testify. I am an Eeyore. I see, this, I see the worst in everything. <laughs> Sometimes it's discouraging. Sometimes it takes me a lot of time in prayer to pull myself out of the doldrums. But no one said living for God was going to be easy, and we need to understand that, that no one said this was going to be easy. Moses went to Pharaoh with his answer, who was Aaron, and just because he had Aaron with him doesn't mean Pharaoh said, oh, well, then by all means. Do you need help leaving? Have a safe trip. Godspeed. <laughs> no one said it was going to be easy. And uh, I want to talk to you today about one more step that I feel is necessary in successfully living for God. One more step that is very, very important. I want to talk to you about what will carry you through the wilderness areas, which is the next place that many people arrive at and decide to go back home. How many of you know that when the Israelites got into the wilderness and they were first confronted with no water, then they were confronted with no food, they were confronted with hardship, that some of them started to say, let's go back to Egypt. Because at least in Egypt we had food. At least in Egypt we may have been slaves, but we had bread. And some people feel that way in living for God. Things get tough, things get hard, and they say, I'm going back to the world. Because at least I didn't carry the burdens in my heart that I'm carrying now. And we look at people in the world and we envy them. And we say, they don't carry the, the convictions that I have to carry. They get away with doing whatever they want, and if I try it, I feel convicted, and my salvation is at stake. They don't carry that burden. Let's go back to the world. That's where a lot of people begin to walk away. Now, in Matthew chapter 22, someone else came to Jesus. It's not the same story as I talked about last week, but it's a similar story because someone else came to Jesus and asked him, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, this is in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus said to him, here's the great commandment in the law. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. If you can do that, you'll be successful serving God. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. But you know Jesus. Jesus never stops where you think he's going to, both good and bad. What I mean by that is he's going to give you a blessing and you think, wow, what a blessing. You ain't seen nothing yet. There's more coming. And then Jesus says, I don't want you doing this anymore. And you figure out how you're going to stop doing that. And he says, oh, and this too. <laughs> he's always wanted to take you to a deeper place. Thank God he does. Because he said to this man, which is the great commandment of the law, and his answer was, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your, and your mind. This is the first and great commandment. Oh, good. Let's, let's stop there. No, 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 no. The second is like it. What do you mean the second? I only asked for one. Yeah, but you're getting this one too. 
Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. If you can love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself, you got it made, my friend. And we have a problem, I'm going to be honest with you, we have a problem with both of those issues. Loving God with all of our heart isn't always easy. And certainly loving our neighbor as ourself is not easy. Especially when your neighbors are like they are. Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse 15, this statement. If you love me, can I see the show of hands of people that love God today? You love Jesus. This is what Jesus said. If you love me, keep my commandments. Keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. Now listen to me and listen carefully. Sooner or later, God is going to ask you to do something you do not want to do. Sooner or later, his commandment is going to come forth to you. And it is going to be something that you do not like, that you do not know how you can accomplish, that you don't even want to have to accomplish. You didn't sign up for that part of the deal, but sooner or later, everybody that comes to God and wants to go to heaven is going to be confronted by the master with something he wants you to do that you do not want to do and do not know how you can do it. Sooner or later. And if you understand how much Jesus loves you and what he did for you and what he saved you from, you can continue to follow him when things are not going well and not going your way. And when you're being asked to do something that you don't think you can do, nor do you want to do, you can make it if you can understand how much Jesus loves you and what he's done for you. Listen to me. Jesus, here's how I know he loves me. I was lost. And so were you. Lost on our way to hellfire and brimstone. And you can say there is no hell, and I'm going to tell you, yes, there is. And you can say there's no fire in hell, and I'm going to say, yes, there is. And you can say hell is not eternal punishment, and I'm going to say, yes, it is. And you were headed there. Every one of us were headed there. You know how I know that? Because all of us have sinned. And have fallen short of God's glory. Stay with me now. Every one of us. That's why Jesus could so assuredly say to the crowd that had gathered to stone a woman caught in her own sin. Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And when he said those words, one by one they dropped their stones because there was not a one of them that was without sin. And there is not a one of us that is without sin. And every single one of us deserves hellfire and brimstone. Will the person who believes they don't deserve hell please shout 
Amen. I didn't think I'd hear an amen. Because we all do. What Jesus did was he robed himself in flesh, left his home in glory, and became a man and the only sinless man who ever lived in the history of humanity, and then went to Calvary, laying upon himself your sins and mine, crucified those sins by having himself crucified, thereby paying the price for your sins so that you can now escape your eternal destination, rightly deserved of hellfire and brimstone, and be brought to heaven with him. That's what he did for you. That's what Jesus did for you. So what happens now when I am in a position or a situation where the Lord begins to ask me something that is harder than I think I can accomplish? And if you use the children of Israel as an analogy, he brought them out of Egypt. They faced the Red Sea. They didn't know how they're going to get across it. He opened it for them. They, they were confronted in the, in the wilderness with enemies. They had to battle enemies, and God delivered every one of those enemies eventually into their hands. And that's what God does for us. But before he does it, he asked us to do what we think we cannot do. Sooner or later, if he has not already, for most of you, he probably already has asked you to do something you didn't think you could do, and he gave you the grace to do it. I hate to say it like this, but you ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> because God's going to take you deeper and further and ask more and more of you and confront you over and over again with things you don't think you can do. What do you do at a time like that? Loving God is the answer. Loving God is the answer. Now I want to tell you how love works and I'm so sorry because I know probably every one of you have heard this story before. I'm going to tell it again and I promise you this is not the last time you will hear it. All right. Because it is an analogy that I can use that will help you understand what I am talking about. It was just about 10 years ago when we bought this building and it looked nothing like it looks now. We had a lot of work to do and one of the main things we had to do was fix the bathroom problem. The bathroom problem was that these restrooms, these beautiful restrooms with three stalls in each one, uh, only had one little stall and a little two and a half by two and a half room, barely enough room to get in there and turn around, shut the door and sit down. And uh, that's what was one of those in each bathroom. It took me about 30 seconds to realize this isn't going to cut it. Because you and I might deal with it, but a first time visitor is not going to walk in here and stand in line for a bathroom usage only to get in there and be cramped. They're going to come out of the bathroom and decide right then they're not coming back here next week. So I knew right away we got to do something about these bathrooms, and I designed in my head, I thought, let's, uh, let's take these big rooms and let's knock these walls down and make this one big bathroom on each side, because they were separate rooms. Let's make these one big room, which we did. We decided. We designed it to put three stalls in each one, and, and well, to what they are now. 
There was a young man in the church at the time who knew a little bit about construction, more than I did. I knew a little. He knew a little more. And we talked about it, and I realized I was going to need help, and I called for my dear friend, Brother Stephen Beatty, to come, who is a master plumber, by the way. He's a master plumber. And uh, I wasn't sure he was going to be able to come. I looked at this guy that was in our church at the time, and I said, if he can't make it, I think you and I can handle this job. We could probably get this done. He said, yeah, I think we could do it. Day one, when Steve Beatty went out and just bought the materials, I looked at the load of materials laying on the basement floor, and I said, we couldn't have done this job. <laughs> he, he was buying parts I didn't even know existed. <laughs> he is a master. Steve Beatty is a master. So he came. He was going to spend a week here. He said, we can do this job in a week. I'm going to take a week off from all of my work, and I'm going to come here, and I'll spend a week with you, and we'll get this done. I said, thank you so much. So off he comes. It was day six, day five. It was day five uh, on, uh, of his stay here. He's getting ready to leave in a couple of days. When uh, I was upstairs showering and he hollered up to me, he said, Rick, something's wrong with, sister, with your wife. Something's wrong with Susan. I said, what? He said, I'm worried about her. I said, I've been worried about her since the day I met her. There's been something wrong with her since I first met her. Don't worry about it. <laughs> there is something wrong with her. For somebody like her to like somebody like me, there's got to be something wrong with her. Did I redeem myself? <laughs> he, said, he said, no, Rick, there's something seriously wrong with her. Now, he had had a heart attack, so he knew he could sense issues with the heart. He said, there's something wrong here. And he called the ambulance. They came. They brought her to the hospital. Turned out that was when she had her stroke. Uh, while she was in the hospital, she lost total use of her left side. She had with the, the um, images, whatever they, whatever they used to take images. MRI came back, and there was six little, uh, six little blood clots in her brain, and then a seventh one that was big. And that seventh one was what did her in. And uh, I was at the hospital. All this work still had to be done. We were behind schedule already. We were overwhelmed. I was overwhelmed. And uh, I'm at the hospital, and here's my daughter, my son, and my, and my kids are there. And they said, look, Rick, uh, Dad, they said, go back, go, go, go finish your work. And I gotta, I'm walking out of the hospital, leaving my wife, who just had a stroke, to come back here to finish a job because everything, it was like, it, I, was like I was like a deer in the headlights. I was just like, a, I didn't know what to do. And I walked back in this building, and we were nowhere near finished, and we were so deep into it that there was no way I could possibly finish this job by myself and the, and the, and the, and the people that, that were going to church here. There was no way we were going to be finishing this. And Steve Beatty was supposed to be leaving the next day, and he was over at the hospital with me. And we lost another day of work over at the hospital. And he came back with me later on in the afternoon, and we stood right back there, right about where that back wall meets that side wall, is where we were standing and he looked at my face and he could see that I was like a deer in the headlights. I was like lost. I didn't know. I was like, uh, I, I just didn't know what to do. And Steve Beatty looked at me and he said, Rick, I will not leave you alone through this. That's what he said to me. And he didn't. He called his wife. He said, find someone else to preach for me this weekend. I'm not coming home. 
I'll be here for at least another week. Might be longer, but he said, I'll be here at least another week. And he would not leave me alone in the worst storm of my life. Now, I want to tell you something about Steve Beatty. And I know you've heard this before, and I just got, I can't stop telling it. If in the middle of my sermon, this phone rang, and I looked, and the caller ID said, Stephen Beatty, I would tell all of you, hold on one second, I have to take this call. It could be Mayor McCarthy, I'd reject it. It could be Governor Cuomo, I'd reject it. If it was Steve Beatty, I would say, I got to take this call. And if he said, Rick, I'm in trouble and I got to go, I need help. I'd call for Jameson to come up here, here's my notes, finish this, I got to leave. That's what I would do. Here's my notes, James, just read it and finish it up. Because I have to leave. Why do I have to leave? Because Steve Beatty just called me and I will do anything that man needs. Why? Because he did anything for me when I needed it. You understand how that works? Jesus went to Calvary for me. Loving God is the key. Loving Jesus is the answer. Loving Jesus is what keeps you pressing forward when you don't think you can. Because you owe it to Him because He went to Calvary for me. How can I say no to Him? And so no matter what He asked me, no matter how impossible it seems, no matter how much I do or do not want to do it, I cannot walk away. The apostles said, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Nobody else laid their life down on a, on a cruel cross on Calvary's hill for me. You did that. So I may not like the fact that you're calling me right now to do this. I may not know how I can accomplish that, but I will figure out a way because I feel forever indebted to you for the love you showed me. And so I close by telling you this. That's why when things go wrong, and they will, I still serve him. That's why when I am messed up emotionally, I still serve Him. That's why when others fight me and try to stop me, I still serve Him. That's why when others tempt me to do the things He does not love, I still serve Him. That is why when I feel like giving up, I drag myself back to church again next Sunday. And when I feel like the whole world is on my shoulders, I will still throw my hands in the air to praise Him. Why? Why? Because I love Him. Nobody's ever done for me what Jesus did. That's why when I suffer depression, and I do, and when I go into those dark places, that's why I still serve Him. And that's why when 
I can look at my actions and realize that I have failed him and done wrong. I pick myself up and go back to the cross and still serve him. Because like Brother Beatty calling me on this phone, I will answer and I will do everything in my power to take care of his needs. And when Jesus calls me on this phone, I will do whatever I can to serve him. Loving the Lord is the key to successfully serving him. Don't you let the devil tell you you're not worthy. I already know that. Don't you let the devil tell you you're a failure. You just figured that out. Don't you let the devil tell you you don't deserve salvation. Who does? Don't you let your failure stop you from doing something good for him tomorrow. Because it has nothing to do with how great I am, good I am, smart I am, talented I am, compassionate I am, merciful I am, giving I, has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with he first loved me. Can we stand together? Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Ministries podcast. If this message touched you, please make sure to subscribe for more sermons from Pastor Frank and the ministry team here at Maranatha, as well as follow us on our social media platforms. We are located in Schenectady, New York, and if you are in the area, we invite you to join us during our weekly Sunday service starting at 1030 a.m. We look forward to you joining us again next week for another anointed message. Thank you and God bless.